Have you considered that your injury might be all in your head? In my head. See, this, not in my head. I'm talking right? about correspondence. The body and spirit, as above, so below. Our earthly medicines obey the will of the stars. Because your wound isn't just your wound. It belongs to all of us. The universe is broken. Can you fix it? Shadows. Hello, welcome to Pod 49, a fan discussion show about the long lost but never forgotten Lodge 49, which uh, for now you can find, uh, depending on where you are in the world, but probably Hulu or Amazon. So if you uh, need to find it, you didn't, it seems pretty weird that you'd be here and not know how to get to it, but there you go. Um, we are here. This is our episode seven rewatch. So Jim, why don't you, what, what are some of the, what's the, uh, the, uh, tip sheet for episode seven okay episode seven is called the solemn duty of the squire and it was written by jim gavin and directed by minky spiro all right and i'll give you the quick needle drops for the show this one was a heavy one this week uh the peels time marches on the superimposers shadows silver apples with oscillations Beautified junkyards with golden apples of the sun, Belberry's Polly with a pilgrim's patch, Krumbegin with Como Mequieres, and the sound carriers with Let It Ride. So there you go. And as always for these uh, season one rewatches, we are joined by special guests, and we are super excited for the, uh, you know, for the Siegfried and Roy, the uh, Mutt and Jeff. Uh, the, uh, uh, what was a Hamlet duo? Rosencrantz and Gilderstein of Lodge 49. <laughs> Jim, who we got today? So we are fortunate to have with us two actors from the show who have both joined us in the past separately for interview episodes. But it's fitting they're here together with us tonight because on the show, they often appear side by side as the kitchen crew of Shamrock's and then as uh, co-workers at Higher Stakes and friends. And I'm talking about Atkins Estemond and David Yuri, also known as Gerson and Champ. Woo! Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Hey. Oh, thanks for having us. Absolutely. David, David, I think you actually now hold the honor of being on uh, the podcast as a guest three times. So you have scored oh, right. Patrick. That's right, the Lodge 49 panel at Long Beach, too. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a three piece. I'm feeling a little, a little jealous. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. A little, <laughs> just a little jelly there. <laughs> well, Atkins, you're now at least in the leaderboard. You, you know, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. uh, win, place, or show. Your show, I think. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Well, we're gonna. They're just joining us to jump in and dive right into episode seven. But before we do that. You know, I'd love to hear, you know, what are you guys up to? You know, how's this last year been? How, you know, how are you feeling heading into uh, Freedom Summer, whatever they're calling it? What, uh, what, what are they calling it? Like Summer on the Loose or, you know, everyone's got their uh-huh. different hashtags for how people are going to act this summer. But how are you all today as we record? Whew. Go for it, Atkins. Um, yeah, that 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 whew, summed up a lot of uh, how things have been. 
but altogether, all things considered pretty good at this moment. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to whatever the summer, whatever title the summer takes, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. Um, yeah, you know, with the lockdown and pandemic and all the things, it has um, been nice to see a little bit of a ray, some, some light coming through the end of the tunnel there. But um, for myself, I've been well. I've been working. Um, I have uh, another kid now. I am my dad's strength is twofold. So I got jokes. I got so many jokes. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to say because so many had it so bad. But uh, I've had. Uh, I've been. I've been well. That's good to hear. David, how about you in sunny California? Uh, You know, I've managed to make it through pretty okay. No, no one in my family was really uh, personally affected by COVID seriously. So pretty grateful to have made it close to what looks like might be the other side. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm not totally convinced that we're done. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but boy, the the change in like my life since getting the vaccine is just like so I can't believe the things that I'm doing right now <laughs> that I would would have terrified me you know, two months ago. Yeah. Just even like not wearing a mask all the time. I mean, I, that's become kind of a real thing, at least in New York city where, I mean, I kind of, when I take my kids to school, I wear it in solidarity with them because uh, they have to wear it. And, but then as soon as I drop them, and then there's also a lot of people when I drop them off. Um, but as soon as I leave them, I just rip it off. And, you know, I had a, one of my regulars came into the restaurant, didn't even, didn't have a mask on at all. Just walked in right the front door and sat down and that's all, you know, legit now. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I will say um, being in Georgia where it's kind of been, you know, very much a free for all. We've taken a monster truck rally approach to (laughs) (laughs) to the pandemic, and um, but still, you know, like now, because over, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if this is the same for all places, but here, you know, masks have become optional, and um, I want to say, I guess that that's nationwide. I don't know. That's the other thing. It's hard to know what's what's what but right um but in georgia still with most places even before most places probably didn't care but the going into places now i find myself even though it's okay and i am vaccinated but i still find myself putting a mask on because i'm just like i don't want people to look at me like what are you doing you know and i think that everybody's kind of walking around in some variation of that you know like should i should i not or just like, why are you, why aren't you? It's, it's a mess. Yeah. I don't even know what the rules are anymore. Like locally in Los Angeles, I have no idea like what, like how many people are, can eat in a restaurant or what's open. (laughs) I don't know. It's very hard to keep track. Very bizarre time period right now. I think going from all the, you know, 
how careful everybody was to how that's loosening up. It doesn't feel exactly right. I don't think it's, I don't know. It's a little weird, but I, but I am also vaccinated and have been since March. So it's like, I, I, at least I'm, I I think not going to get it or give it. And Mm. so, or are you up to full capacity in the restaurant now? I mean, I, I think it's allowed. We still aren't really doing it, but with the outdoor tables in the, in the, in the front and the back that like, we're kind of as busy as we can be. And then it's only when it rains that it matters. But I think July 1st, we're going to just go back to normal. Mm. It's kind of weird, but, and we'll see. We'll see. A lot of park slopers still want to sit outside no matter what. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, David, I want to have. Oh, oh, sorry, Jim. I said, David, I want to ask you about something that you've been doing during the pandemic that I have found very entertaining. And we will definitely post, repost uh, on our social media accounts. The um, the dramatic uh, monologues of sitcom uh, theme songs. I, I would love to hear like what inspired that and how, how what kind of response you've been getting for those. Um, so, you know, actors, we were all very bored. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're often bored as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, in between work and auditions, and just trying to find stuff to keep you creatively going but when everything shut down and there were no more auditions there were all of these kind of contests and things for actors to do monologues and so we were all doing these monologues and posting them in sort of this bubble of like other actors and just sort of as a joke I decided to do the facts of life theme song as a monologue, which is something that I'd thought of for years, but had just never done. And, you know, I did that and it was so fun. And then I just started doing that and that kind of became my, my one sort of creative outlet during the the pandemic. And then, you know, like my friends watched it. It didn't really have much of a wide audience until like a year after I did the first one, someone put this DuckTales one on Reddit. Um, and it was literally a year, it was like May of this year and I'd done it May of last year. And then that became, you know, trending on Reddit and I got a lot of uh, new attention. Patton Oswald uh, retweeted you, right? And that yeah, was Patton Oswald tweeted a couple. I think he did that and Three's Company, and oh, and, nice. and that got like a brief, you know, internet uh, a, a brief bit of attention on the videos, and then like a month later, it was back to exactly the normal amount of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been it's super fun, and I have another one that I'm you know, getting ready to, to do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a good, definitely a good way to sort of stay, you know, sharp. Atkins, what, did you do anything to keep your craft, uh, sharp or was it just the new baby central? Um, new baby was taking a lot of, uh, my, <laughs> energy as a being but um i wasn't you know for a while there i was doing um uh what i called corona 
quarantine jam sessions and I was taking requests. So I was just playing different songs. Um, only thing is, is like, I had to know the song that you were <laughs> requesting or, you know, uh, I had to be able to figure it out, but people were like asking for songs. So I was like, that's above my guitar pay grade. Like I can't, I'm not, you know, Jimi Hendrix with it. So, um, so some people did not get their requests and maybe those requests are still pending. And I, I, I'm sad to say that I probably will not be able to fulfill them. So I'm apologizing. What was your now. favorite one that you did? Um, I did, uh, I did one from the jungle book. Um, the, um, I want to walk like you talk yeah. like you. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. So, um, and actually, yeah, 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 that, 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 you know, those are some really good ones, but that was definitely a very, a very fun one. But, you know, like much like David said, it's like, as an actor, I felt like also I just needed some sort of outlet for the, the creativity. And, um, with the pandemic, it was just like, man, you know, everything initially, and, you know, for a while there just came to such a grinding halt that, um, that it was really cool to see people in the community finding, different ways to remain creative. All right. What's well, going on with uh, Hightown? Hightown, yeah. Actually, um, we started um, shooting the second season, I want to say it was October, I believe. Around October, yes. Around October. Um we started working on the second season and um, we were done, I believe in March. So that was interesting because when they said that we were going back to work initially, I thought, well, with the pandemic, I was like, who knows when you'll be able to film again, but um, they were able to figure it out. And um, I have to commend the people at stars and Lionsgate and uh, they made it so that we could do it and do it safely. I don't know who pioneered the, the format for that they followed, but um, uh, we were able to shoot and, and do it in a way that, you know, uh, everybody was protected and safe. And um, uh, it was just, you know, it was a crazy thing being like one of the first few productions, I think there may be, you know, I don't know about being in all the other markets, but, being able to go back to work and that it was a lot of people who were like in the same place. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job right now. So this is kind of cool that they were able to do this because a lot of people who weren't expecting to get a check were able to get a check um, in a time when a lot of people weren't getting checks. So um, that was huge. And, but it was, you know, a lot to adjust to, like I have had more, uh, Q-tips shoved into my nose and throat <laughs> than I ever <laughs> wish to even think about now. Like I'm almost desensitized. Like it got to a point, I mean, cause we had to do them so consistently throughout the weeks of shooting that it was just like not a big deal anymore. But um, I am thankful that I don't have to do that anymore. But you know, if it's what it took to be able to work and keep everyone safe, then it was the small price to pay. All right, so let's jump into episode seven. Uh, as, as usual, we start out just with some big takeaways, you know, whether it was a theme of the episode or something that just, you know, upon rewatch just kind of smacked you over the head. So who wants to jump in? Who wants to lead us off here? 
well, I've been talking about Larry the whole season, and uh, he's been my alchemist of the week like six times out of six episodes or something, I think. But <laughs> uh, one thing I really liked was how he was um, in remembrance of him, and this this episode is sort of that about how uh, it's something I kind of like went over my head a little bit, I think the first time, but sort of like people remembering him like blaze and Scott, both kind of like mentioning how, uh, you know, how much he kind of helped him. And like Scott, he was friends with Scott's dad. And we kind of know, I think that like the nature of that arrangement, I think, which is why Scott is so um, sort of wants to be the, um, you know, the head of it and stuff like that. But with, but like he's, it seems like Larry was more friends with his dad, and that's kind of why he has this kind of tension with the lodge a little bit. But also then Blaze, who uh, you know we find out later that got kind of kicked out of his house from his parents when he came out, and um, and how he was in a terrible spot or something he calls it. And so I don't know, I, I, it just kind of like hit me that um, that little part of it um, very into Larry this this whole season. Um, and I also like that he was like a a guy who had a lot of guys. Larry, Larry had a guy everywhere. You ever needed, I don't know, bricks? He had a brick guy and a carburetor guy and on and on all over town. I want to be a guy with guys. And I love that line because I've I've been like very proud of my little Rolodex of guy because like, just from bar interactions and stuff like that. And so if you need this, I got a guy, I, you know, I can, oh, trust me with this guy. I really love that. He was a guy of guys. That was one of my little takeaways. Operator guy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, definitely the, when he says, I want to say it's dead that says, I want to be a guy with guys. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, does it everybody? Like I want to, yeah. You want to be the guy who has guys for sure. I'll jump I'll in just because mine builds off that a little bit. My sort of big theme for the episode as, and it kind of hit me, uh, towards the end, but this was really was an episode about legacies, right? We got to get the varied legacy of, of Larry, you know, we kind of, we have the baseball game, which was a, you know, kind of a legacy tribute, but then the negative aspects of his legacy, which was the financial ruin. Um, uh, we get what Bart, you said about the legacy of some of our key lodge members that's connected. You, you know, we get the legacy of, of debt, on the Dudleys and the lodge. So we get like all these things that are reminders of like the legacies and, and, and we hear Liz's backstory with her criminal past and what that's done to her. So we have all of these, like the sort of the haunting really of, of legacies and sort of like, you know, we, we want to memorialize things, but you know, sometimes the truth just becomes more crystal clear, you know, as a legacy rather than, than the remembrance. So that was just a big theme for me. Maybe the legacy of Orbis, too, with them yes. uh, meeting up, the Parabola group meeting up. Yeah. And all the broken down machines that they're uh, trebucheting at the uh, yeah. golf. Yeah. It's like. I was going to say that this episode for me is like really there's a, a shift, and there's a lot of like, it's a heavy episode. And, and in many ways, I found it to be very sad. And the fact that it's like right up to this, you get that the moment with Larry where it's like you finally get to see a more of a peek into um, behind the curtain as far as the true lodge and those things. And you feel like Ernie's finally coming into that. Then it feels like when it's it's finally starting to 
things are finally starting to connect. And then when you get to this next episode and it's like, no, it's, that's not, you you take that turn away. You know, it's like you're at the intersection and you feel like you're about to make a left and then it goes right. And it's like, you have Ernie and Dud having their kind of blow up and, um, and then uh, Ernie finding out he's not going on the tour and um, finding out that Larry, who he had that really like such a sweet moment with um, that last little day they had together and to have that sweet moment and then to turn to the scene like with him in the bar where he's like cursing his name and, and tearing down that photo of him like that was really a heavy like hit the heart spot moment, you know? Um, and there was tons of those throughout, like uh, listening to Scott talk about, he, he really almost highlighted him being an outsider and the fact that it was really like with Larry, you could tell that he had a special connection with all the other members in the lodge, but with him, it was more so that he liked his dad and not so much him, you know? Um, yeah, there were so many little moments like that throughout this episode where you saw, um, painful, painful moments for, for each character, Liz and her interview, where it's like, it looks like the door might be opening to something special. And then they're like, what, we need a background check. And it's like, Oh, you know, that's shut. You know, it's, it, there was, it was riddled with those little, little letdowns. Dad has literally painful moments where he gets hit in the face. Yeah. All, <laughs> right. By, yeah. Ernie, and then get shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. to be begun. Yep. It's Blaze and like, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of moments there. Yeah, poor Blaze just gets um, you know crushed. I think he's so it's so painful to watch because it's like he finally has something like you know he would have I think much preferred to just stay with the con for as long as he could you know because all of a sudden there was not only somebody you could connect with but like connect with on the lodge in such a way you know and it just was knowing what you know already is going to happen it was a lot more heartbreaking this time around to watch him go through it but uh yeah Avery yeah Uh, speaking of Avery uh and I also felt so bad for Jocelyn because I didn't, you know, because, you know, he has, you know, this whole sad sack story and we'd already gotten a scene a couple episodes ago, you know, him getting caught up in the customs and all that, or, you know, and on the plane and the whole nine. But then Avery, that was, that was like a lacrosse hit. Like he takes him out. So this poor guy, you know, and then you get the, the, you know, the the total (laughs) epilogue to that with the roach mouse combo scene and the dirty sheets. I mean, you just, this guy, he cannot catch a break. (laughs) Uh, My big theme was reinvention and that, you know, Liz is trying to reinvent herself a little bit and, and we know still goes down that path. Um, and Dud, his new identity to him is, is he's a squire. I'm a squire now. And like, you know, I'm not just a guy. And then it's, of course, runs, in, runs into the complication of Ernie being like, no, you're not, you know, like, but, um, and then, but also Blaze, even though it's sad and he's, you know, feels betrayed at the end when Avery comes back, he's like, you have a chance to become a true alchemist. Like that's the the beginning of blaze heading down that path and reinventing himself as an alchemist. He really embraces that and he really gets into it as we know in the, in the rest of the season and season two. Mm. 
One interesting um, tidbit that I picked up is um, there is a moment where, uh, and throughout the episode, you hear uh, the place where circles vanish. And um, I didn't catch this initially, but um, when Dud is looking for that that room where he had the vision, he's like, I've been going around in circles. I still can't find it. What? Sub basement or whatever it was I found the other night. I keep walking down all these corridors, but I just end up going in circles. Not until going back and listening, watching the episode, I was like, I didn't even catch that, the, the connection between those two things, you know, and that that possibly that room has something to do with that, you know, and there's so many things where it's just like um, the end takes you to so many various paths that it could be. But um that really jumped out at me that I was like, okay, well, because I want to say it's the the place where circles vanish is mentioned a few times, definitely by Avery for sure in that episode. But I know that definitely Dud also said that um, he had been going around in circles trying to find that room. So um, that kind of just like, it's, it, I was like a deer in headlights when I was watching, I was like, why didn't I catch that before? You know? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. When, when they're at the softball game, and you know Avery is saying to Blaze, so Dud was really bit by a snake. So yeah, and then he says all circles vanish. Like it means something mm-hmm. to him. And Blaze is like, what? And then we just yeah. kind of move on. Yeah. And yeah. then that ends up being yeah, that ends up being the title of the first episode of the second season. And, mm-hmm. and isn't it a song that plays when they it the in the beginning of that first episode of season two? Yeah, I think you're it, totally. It, you know, it, I just, it, I don't know what? If you it after the song, or if the song they wrote the song for the episode, or if it was just, um, yeah, I, you're totally right on that. And isn't it where they're showing everybody in their, yeah, and that um, zoetrope, yeah, right. So they're showing, they show us at Orbis, right? In that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the thing in London that Connie's when she's over there that. Yeah, one of the like yeah. those artifacts in, in Mod yeah, One. Yeah. Now, yeah. David, speaking of circles, you li- you and Dud literally spin in circles in the in the golf cart, right? You say so you you're the physical manifestation of a, of a circle. I, I was thinking, you know, especially knowing that we were having you on for this episode, that must have been fun to shoot. How did how did you pull like that many donuts in a, uh, a golf cart? I just sat there and hoped that no shrapnel would hit me. That was my job. (laughs) Um, It was very interesting to watch. Like I was was pretty terrified, really. So I didn't have to do any acting as far as my expressions. (laughs) For Wyatt, it was like another day at the office. You know, but they were really dropping these. Yeah, things and they were smashing and like they had stunt guys do it a couple times and they were like, yeah, watch out for the shrapnel. Oh, there's some little shrapnel pieces here on the cart. So I'll wipe those off. I was like, wait, what? What?" (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of funny how like you guys were it's obviously like a, a course that, you know, you guys have the best time at. 
Um, but it's also like, well, does the parabola group, like, are you, are, uh, you know, Dud and Champ two outsiders that they're actually aiming for? Or like how, like, it's like you're, you know, it's like a golf range when you're, you know, in the cart picking up the balls. And when you, you want to aim and try to hit the cart or something like that, except it's like giant computers that are landing literally six inches from the cart. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny because it's fun and it's fun to watch and it's funny, but it was also like, but in reality, why, you know, why would anybody agree to that? You know, <laughs> right. sure. I'm sure I'll, di- I'll dodge it, you know, and if not, I'll have brain damage, but let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, initially, this is um, some insider info there um, or behind the scenes, I guess. Initially, Gerson was supposed to be on the back of uh, the golf because ah. when they were preparing the scenes initially you know before we shot that day all the things i all the the sides or whatever i had seen had gerson also on the golf cart and then when we got to the day and we're getting ready to shoot they were like all right actually it's just going to be um it's just going to be champ and, and dud and initially i was kind of like ah, but then when i saw <laughs> what was happening I was like okay this would have been terrifying and terrible uh having to sit on the back of a golf cart while you know they're dropping uh office furniture and stuff or office appliances it was I was much happier on the sideline <laughs> watching than riding on the back of that golf cart yeah at least they had a roof over their heads mm, yeah inside of it right <laughs> and yeah no, I would have been very exposed I think, was this also the episode where you and I, we drove a little sh- uh, container mover? Yes, the that, that got cut out of the episode. Yes, that is the same episode. Um, uh, I don't know if everybody knows what pallet jacks are, but um, if you ever worked in like a warehouse or it's like a forklift, but with you as the human component is the motor of it. And basically you hydraulically lift uh pallets with it and um essentially there was a bunch of them in this area where the parabola group was meeting um in that scene where you kind of where it opens up and dud walks in and we're all kind of hanging out in their gills there and there was a scene where um dud and connie are having their conversation and in the background of that um gerson and champ are supposed to be kind of just riding around skating around essentially on these um these pallet jacks and (laughs) that was an interesting moment as well because trying to maneuver those along with you know when you're filming they want things to happen at a certain time but trying to turn make a tight turn on one of these things where it's very easy to tip them over because they're not meant to be written but we were just riding them was very fun but also very kind of scary at the same time and I'm sad I, I didn't make it into the, the cut, though. I'd uh, like to see that on some extras reel at some point, you know? Yeah, we need the, we need the web series of just, you know, the, your antics, you know? Like someone get down. <laughs> yeah. Come on, AMC, release somebody out there. Our producer, Claire, would probably love to cut together a, uh, a web series of the two of you. Exactly. Somebody has the palette cut. You know, they just released the Snyder cut. I'm sure they we just can released get the palette cut. <laughs> <laughs> right. Man, palette man cut. the palette cut. Get on there. <laughs> I mentioned this a little bit in, in the introduction, but you know, the two of the two of you and your characters are so linked. You know, you're sort of this like 
you, you know, kind of, uh, you know, you, you are almost like this Greek chorus for the show, you know, in, you know, one's a little sardonic and cynical. The other's kind of happy go lucky with a sort of a positive attitude, you, you kind of yeah. opposites attract. And it, it, did it, was that something that developed? Was that something that came out of Jim's brain? Like how did that, that pairing evolve? It had nothing to do with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we actually, um, we have a, a, a past, me and David, we actually worked on a show together prior to this that actually Adam Godley was on as well called uh, Powers. And so when we were working together the first day, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, when I saw David, I was like, we worked on Powers. And that was prior to me realizing that Adam Godley was also on this as well. And it was weird because there was also, I want to say, a couple of people on the crew who also worked, like maybe one or two people who also worked on Powers as well. But um, so it was very, let me say it was a combination of the writing. I think that, you know, a lot of the work had already been done on the page, but um I feel like me and David became very fast friends on the show. I mean, there were so many fantastic people who worked on this project, but um, me and David worked very closely to the point when he would come and shoot, we would hang out as, you know, pretty frequently while he was in, or while the show was in production and while he was in town. And I think we were all hanging um, out, going out to eat. Yep. And so when it came to doing our scenes, by the second episode probably yeah it was very we were already felt like we were on very familiar ground yeah Yeah. and I felt like that real life connection definitely um had an effect on the characters in the show because I was just like when anytime we'd go to work I was like all right cool I get to hang out with David, you know, so. Also, um, our real life personalities may not be that different from the character. <laughs> that is also very true. I tend to be a champ style pessimist, I think. Champs may be a little more optimistic than I am. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, actually, you know what? We And this is even... Uh, more on inside we went to um one time while we were shooting dave pasquese who's who plays blaze on the show he is a phenomenal improviser i don't know if everyone is aware of that and um he was doing a two-man show in town um for a while there while production was going on and um and it'd always be like at midnight or so, I believe. And one time it was me, um, me, Adam Godley and David, we went and had dinner and then um, went to go see Blaze's show, which a uh, Blaze, went to go see Dave's show, <laughs> which was phenomenal. So just to, you know, to kind of give you an idea of the amount of um, outside of production time that was spent amongst the cast. And I know that there were other members of the cast who would regularly have like, I think like a Sunday night dinner or something like that. There was a lot of um, bonding and and meeting up happening outside of work. Yeah. It was a really good group of people. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard this uh, a bunch from, from different interviews and stuff, the extracurricular hanging out 
Um, I think Sam and Celia hung out a lot too. Yeah, um, the uh, the strip mall crew. Yeah. Yep. And no. yeah, yeah, we have heard that a, a ton, and 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 we saw it a little bit in Long Beach, and it 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 really does translate on the show. I think it's one of those things, you know, that the secret sauces that you know when the show gets its hold on certain people not for doesn't get it for everyone, you know, you know, the, the normies don't get it maybe, but the, um, but those who do, I think there's something about those relationships and that intermingling of what was fiction and what was real that somehow, you know, kind of gets transmitted through our, our screens and kind of gets, gets the viewer. There's something, there's a, there's a certain, you know, connective tissue. I think that that translates through that. Absolutely. That, that makes sense because once once you were f- like friends and we're and since all of our scenes were together pretty mm-hmm. much we're just kind of now we're just like messing around when you know when we're working we're just yeah. like all right let's let's do it let's yeah yeah so also if you talk to um daniel stewart sherman he would say that the uh, Jeremy Champ Gerson relationship was not just happening on screen; it was also happening in real life as well. So, I, I, if you asked him that, I guarantee you that he would say that that uh, that uh, that relationship worked very much the same on screen and off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how, uh, yeah, how was that? <laughs> How was it doing the, uh, you know, the shopping cart jousting? Did you guys continue that into off hours or what? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no, but um, gosh, that was, that was at times, once again, like thrilling, but also like, wow, this could get, this, this is a very potentially dangerous thing. And, and when I say that there was stunt people there, you know, we, we actually had a rehearsal the day before. So it wasn't like we were just going for it without any, you know, any professionals there to to guide us or whatever but still i mean you know when you just got two people just going at it in a cart uh with mops and brooms and and (laughs) trash can lids anything can happen so but it was it was one of the funnest things i've ever had to do for a project i'll say (laughs) that's a good transition as we think think about a couple what was it just you know, when you we rewatch things you know sometimes when we know the big plot points and so on and so forth little things kind of reveal themselves to you as you watch uh you know for me speaking of of uh david pasquese he had my two just killer lines in this one was when he said you know admin was never really uh, uh larry's strong suit you know it's just a great like <laughs> such a great offhand line i loved it and then he had that one line you know, I noticed that Blaze is a little meaner in the first half of season one that he eventually goes on to be through the course of the show. And he has that line about the dud where he says, actually, there might be a little less there than you'd think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, wait, I wrote this down. Yeah, it says, yeah. Knows less than he lets on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- th- those are just two, like, I guffawed at both, at both of those lines. So those little, little... Tidbits but I don't out of think that that's mean. I think it's just very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I also love the way we, you know, we commented about how he would say Scott when he, when yeah. he, yeah. You know, yeah. and how we love the way he pronounced Scott and the way, and in this episode, he's like, well, you're a fraud. And the way, the way he calls Avery a fraud is just like that Scott sameness. And it, it's so good. And because I already have that knowledge of him, I, that made me laugh out loud too. Cause he just says such a good, it, I don't know if he is from Chicago, but there's like, he some, is. He is, yeah. Yeah, it's like the Chicagoness behind it, but it's but it's all truth and real, and you know, yeah. He, uh, Blaze really, I, I love Blaze in this episode, or David, or Dave. Great Blaze episode, and I feel like the Scott gets like more powerful as the episodes progress. You know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the difference between season one Scott and season two Scott is pretty distinct. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else a little like character moments or lines or any little things you noticed that jumped out at you? Uh, you know, what I hadn't noticed before when um, Ernie is driving to go find what we learn is uh, to go find Captain, he's listening to the Prague paradox to, to L. Marvin Metz. And as he's coming in, it says, it was a trap. Yeah. Oh. And then, you know, he ends up basically getting duped by Captain and then later showing up at the place that Captain tells him to go and it's all empty in the next episode. That was one thing I'd missed. And then, you know how when Dud goes goes back to the pawn shop to buy Ernie's TV and it's $900, which is just a ridiculous price for, for that. Any TV, any TV these days. <laughs> any TV these days, right. But yeah. it's, remember in, in season two, he talks about how the watch was fake. It didn't matter. He knew he would buy it back because they're an emotional people or something like yeah. that. And just that he, that, that he knows that dad will pay will not go and buy a new TV, but that this was Ernie's TV. And so he's going to have to get this particular TV back and therefore he can charge whatever he wants. But also in, I think Bert's defense, the one moment you have like a little bit of sympathy for Bert or like him in a way is because he, even though the watch is a fake and it's not worth anything, he gave him, I guess he knows they're going to pay, pay it back, but he, he gave him the money because the dad needed it. Mm. Right, yeah, it was also yeah. an investment. One small weakness of his as a, you know, pawn shop scum guy, is that he was like he did like the Dudleys. I mean, you know, they're neighbors, and just like the donut shop, it's like they're all connected. So, but yes, hundred um, percent. I also love when <clears throat> beautiful Jeff comes. Like he's like, is he gone? You know, when when it, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like. I met Captain, and he says to Ernie, you know, Captain has all the answers. You have to find him. And then what is? And Ernie goes out there, and who answers the door? But Dud. (laughs) It's like he's searching for Captain, but he's gonna find Dud. And I thought that it's like something that would never have picked up on the first time, second time, and whatever. Until you watch season two, and then go back and watch it again. And I don't know. It's like another one of those like really nice lodgy moments. I think when. That just was, yeah. right there in front of you, and and I didn't notice until this time, but I really love that little segment. I and just love the, the moment of I'm looking for Captain. I'm searching for Captain, and he's like Captain, right? Captain, 
Captain, man. Captain. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I think um, you mean Gary. Oh, you mean Gary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the deflation of that moment from the 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 legend that's been built up of the person whose name is Captain for it to be a guy named Gary. You know, <laughs> <laughs> pool nonetheless. You know, like Jeff had described this like swimming in this pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, and I, I, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, speaking of beautiful Jeff, that whole, the whole situation with him and Bob, um, it, I, I just loved it. How he was just so like, he was like, we're taking, you're taking extra shifts. And if you don't want to do it, you're fired. <laughs> like, I don't want him alone. Like you do not find uh, management or owners that care about their employees like that, you know, although it was probably exclusive to beautiful Jeff, but only beautiful. Beautiful Jeff is a noble tulip. (laughs) (laughs) Also my favorite character name in the show. Yeah. 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 I I, I agree. That is so classic. And I love how, like, by the time we get the first scene where, you know, we, we meet beautiful Jeff in the hospital and, and we get the whole, like, you know, he will not be uh, alone and all that. By the time we get back and we get the section where he gets to, to break his fake coma or whatever, that must have been, like, a couple days. So he's, like, he's like faking it the whole time. You know? <laughs> and he, like, snaps, too. Like, you know, like, it's, like, boom. He's afraid that if, if he comes to that, he's going to have to answer to this a little bit. And he's just avoiding it as yeah. long as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's really like, I was thinking about how I finally put my finger on it, I guess in a weird way, but it's like, it's really the way you would love a child unabashedly, you know, like the way he loves beautiful Jeff, you know, there's just something mm-hmm. so like, it's like, as if it's like your only one offspring and you're just so excited. <laughs> he's the only young guy. Like they show all the other staff standing there in the, in the hospital room. Like you're going to have to get extra shifts. It's all a bunch right. of old dudes. Yeah. Beautiful Jeff yeah. is the only young guy. He's the only one who can carry on this plumbing sales profession into a new generation or whatever. As dud is to the lodge. Beautiful. Yeah. Jeff, the West coast. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. There it is. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also an interesting moment is, um, the glimpse that you get into um, Janet's world when you see Liz in the waiting room Mm -hmm. at, at their, I guess, headquarters there and just the vast emptiness of that space, huge white, but nothing in it. And um, it was just like seeing that, and knowing where things go with Janet, it all made so much sense. Like, and all the little things that they were saying about her that initially sounded like just like, oh, like this is weird CEO stuff. But then when you find out it's like, it's all a sham. Um, that first little moment, knowing that now is is very enlightening, that first peak, you know? When, when they frame Liz, when she's sitting down for the interview in the big boardroom, and they kind of, they, it, it, I think it starts a little bit like wide, you know, you sort of see the whole boardroom, but then it, it, it you know, when she's answering a question, it, it sort of snaps to her. 
and there's that i think it's like a light fixture but yeah. it's on the background and i was like you know i i unfortunately have to spend some time looking for free use photos on on sites like up splash or whatever and like it was like that is every douchey like you know put it in my slide deck image right there i'm like that they someone knew exactly what they were doing when they framed that you know i'm surprised it didn't say you know innovation or whatever like i was like <laughs> oh my god i like i scrolled through 75 of those photos like a week ago to find what i could use right um so I had several small moments. One of them was was what Atkins just mentioned. Liz in that lobby, and because the color palette is just white and black, it's so different from the rest of Lodge Forty Nine, the rest of the show. You know, let's so, you know the stark thing. Like, wow, this is very different. Uh, and then another moment was when Dud sees Arnie crying, which is just very yes. quick. And nothing is really made of it, but it's just it registers for for Dud. Like, oh, I need to be there for him and I need to help him out and I need to step up and be his squire and all that, you know, that he he needs me. And, you know, that, of course, we know results in conflict between them. I oh, also, so when uh, Liz goes into corporate's office, you know, there's those books yeah. that Janet has assigned him to read. One of them is Dust Copy Tell and I was, it made me think of Champ. I'm like, and then I was like, trying to remember season two like did champ and janet ever interact like was there any kind of discussion of of uh, marxism ever well and then harwood fritz merrill's book was the biography yeah yeah yeah. and then the other one i had to look up it was a george orwell book called the road to wigan pier which i pulled up a description of but i don't know if it's significant enough to actually get into but I, um, i feel like had there been uh, more seasons that we would have figured out why that uh, Harwood Fritz Merrill book was in there and what Janet's relationship to the lodge was or what she, because who else would know about what, what, yeah. what other reason like, would there be to know Harwood Fritz Merrill? Right. And in season two, she make like, she doesn't, she gets kind of in like, you know, I'm sort of so immersed in season one right now, and and so like season two feels a little bit ephemeral. But she, there's something about the lodge that piques her interest when she hears Duds in, in it, or or Liz meant. There's something, yes, there's something I think that she does sort of like. You know, she kind of does like a little bit of a spit take, or she like mentions that she knows, about, you know, drops a reference to the alchemical something or other. Yeah, we definitely. Mexico, yeah. There's some little hints in season two that that might have come. But then also with Liz, when she sees that book, I feel like something registers for her. Like, oh, this is that dude that Doug's yeah. always talking about. There's something happening. Like, it's almost like a, she has a signs and symbols moment. Like, wait a minute. I know I usually think this is all bullshit, this stuff, Lodge stuff that Doug talks about. But the, the fact that there's this coincidence, like maybe there's something that I need to, you know, pay attention to or be a part of. Both um, with the Prague paradox and in uh, uh, me, yes, you book jacket. I was like, oh, I so want to like do a limited run of like fake book jackets from the show and just you know just find some like old like you know you know whatever you know Stephen King or you know some like hardcover book you know that's mass produced and just throw those on it and put it in my bookshelf. <laughs> like, yeah. so, an idea I had that I'll never follow through on, but I wish I had those book jack, you know, those dust, those book jackets right. would be amazing. That's a fun idea, yeah. So in my other, my final small moment, which we, when we did our, 
the first time around we did a, just two recaps of the entire season one. And we, we talked about this a little bit then, but that I just love just kind of the nonchalance and the ease of seeing blaze and Avery in bed shirtless next to each other. And nothing, not, nothing is made of it. Nothing is described about it. There's no like categorizations. It's just like, Oh, here's two guys. And they're in bed together shirtless and let's, you know, let me go from there. Like what, you know, I was going to say that in that moment that, and, and a lot of probably the, the setup in a lot of shows, like you didn't see there being a moment where it's like, here's the connection between these two guys. Right. Like in a lot of shows, there has to be the moment where they have the moment and it's like, Oh, then they kiss. And then we cut to that scene of them later but mm-hmm. i think in presenting it this way it's just like here it is this is and it, as it should be it's just a regular thing that's happening that happens every day you know as yeah. opposed to like you said like where it's like a setup and it's like we have to be like here's the thing right instead of it just being what it is you know and that you highlighted that very well that the show in many in a way that a lot of shows don't just kind of laid it out there for you as it naturally occurs in the world, you know? Yeah. And and also I think like the scene with Avery and blaze when he's Avery is conning him, but he's like bringing up such good points that like, you can see that they're kind of excited and then they kind of like quickly sort of make out and then it pans away. And it's kind of like, again, you know, it's just like watching a normal couple get sort of excited about each other and how they would respond in that way. And like, um, you know, it, it, it's just very smoothly done. And I, yeah, you know, and like, you know, I also think it's kind of funny how, uh, you know, a lot of descriptions of the show will, will refer to Dud as like slacker or, you know, almost like a hippie or something, you know what I mean? Even though these terms are at this point, like literally 40 years old and like, um, and like of all there's, pot smoking going on but you never but Doug's never one of them you know and then we have Jerson like rip it a bong and it's like you know what I'm saying like so it, it, it's like as if the, the idea is that like you would think that he would be sort of the stoner I actually think that might even be what they use to term him sometimes like somewhat stoner lost dud blah blah, blah. Oh, no yeah he doesn't yeah and he's like not I just, see him smoking weed yeah I, I, I love yeah anyway there was a great article that the um I want to say it was in the article that came out in Vogue, yeah, where they, they interviewed Wyatt and he spoke about it and he was like it wouldn't make sense it would it would interrupt Dud's experience of the world him experiencing all these magical things if he was you know on some kind of substance the fact that he's sober having these you know magical moments is is really what kind of you know, amplifies that. So if he was getting high all throughout the show, then it would kind of just, it would dilute from those moments, you know, or assume we dilute those moments. Yeah. That Vogue article was great. And it was the first article I'd ever seen. Cause I think she mentions it like a stoner who you never see smoke pot. And then, you know, then she kind of asked it to the interview with Wyatt. It's the first, you know, it's the first journalist or, you know, columnist or anybody who's written about the show that I've actually seen like, tackle that you know that head on like they either either just like whatever they don't mention either way or they generally call him a stoner or whatever she was like she kind of like for a second kind of like well this is kind of like a she actually points out the same thing we're talking about which you just don't see donuts are his drug (laughs) 
Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on to the secrets of the scrolls here, which is the arcana and the, uh, you know, what little Easter eggs you might see. I'll, I'll start us off in that, you know, we've been doing, it's been, you know, obviously Jim Gavin was a, a, a fan, an enthusiast, a researcher of the occult and uh, various theories and arcana. So the, the tarot cards play pretty a subtle theme, not so subtle in the fact that they, when they did promo for season two, they did tarot cards. Um, so we've heard that season one is water and that it season two is fire and that we would have gotten earth and air if it had gone for uh, water is generally, uh, well, no, is the represented in the tarot by the, the chalice or the cup. And this is the seventh episode. So we can very much, and I would, dollars to donuts that, that Jim knew this, um, that this was the Seven of Cups episode. And seven, eight, and nine are generally in the suites where things kind of get scrambled. They're not, you know, it's where, where you know, sort of the, 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 the valley that our heroes go through. And so the Seven of Cups is indicated, uh, it indicates a scattered, unfocused, or unrealistic approach to life, love, family, work, finances, health, and well-being, being seduced by an illusion born of many new ideas, energies, and possible new identities. Um, it's also described as whatever is holding us back, chemicals, fear, mental illness, procrastination, the seven cups has arrived with an ultimatum. Get off your butt, clear the cobwebs out of your head, and make a first move towards something you want for your life, or settle into a metaphorical opium den and let life continue to pass you by. So we see a bunch of, you know, we see confusion with these characters. We see how things can go a couple different ways. We see we see the possibilities. Often the tarot card is depicted with seven cups with different things. Like one has usually, there's usually a monster or dragon. Sometimes there's some pot, there's always some kind of imagery of the possibilities of life. And so we see all of our characters kind of grappling at some version of the crossroads, not knowing what is illusion and what is reality to move forward. So uh, this was the seven of cups episode and, um, yeah, I think it, it bore out in the script. So there's our tarot corner uh, uh, of the uh, tarot corner of the episode. But I would love to hear what everyone else saw as some secrets of the scrolls embedded in uh, the text here. David is uh, stroking his beard, so he must have a wizardly, a wizened uh, contribution. So, David, I'll tag to you. The beard stroking is actually. A sign that I have nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There was, um, I remember there being something, uh, some mention of um, the poster. There's a a, a, something, I don't know if it's a poster or painting in the library. And um, there's a crow on it. And I hadn't really jumped out to me that Ernie shot that crow in that episode. And I hadn't really put the connection between the two, the crow that was the crow that's in the library and the connection of that crow that Ernie shot with his BB gun. Um, and I'm sure that somebody has strung all this together, but I had only even popped into my head today because I remember 
And one, I, I don't know if it was in a forum or something. I saw somebody mention it. And um, it might even been Jim who was asking about if anybody had figured something out about the crow, but I was, or about that, that painting or that poster. And I was like, okay, well, I, I don't know what's going on. So somebody might enlighten me on that. Well, I do know that the crow slash raven is a generally a very divisive and magical animal. And sometimes it can be evil, sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be a messenger. So, yes, the, the raven crow imagery uh, definitely has a reason to exist here. Um, although we get that, you know, can we just for a second before, you know, as we get all mystical, I'll bring us back to reality a little bit. Brent Jennings is a master and, and he should be on a show like starting next Tuesday, his, that scene where he shoot, you know, he's angry. He shoots the bird. He feels empathy for the bird that, I mean, I mean, come on, that, that is just a, a it was a masterclass acting 40 seconds there. Yeah. Brent uh, does, I would say for sure doesn't get his due. He is, um, just fantastic. I mean, just getting to watch him work, you I, you just got to soak it up and learn, you know? Um, also, he's been at it for so long. And, um, and when you look at his, you know, the list of things that he's been in, it's just like, I mean, it's no, it's no surprise, but definitely, I mean, I would watch anything that he does for sure. I also loved his reaction when he sees that it's dud at yeah. cap. <laughs> yeah. And how quickly he, like he clocks it, he's confused, but then he just moves right into, okay, this is, it doesn't matter. Where's captain. And he does the hug, the awkward hug with dud. Like he yeah. doesn't really know why they're, what they're doing. <laughs> so good. Also love the um the interchange the, the excuse me the exchange between Dud and him on the porch right before he shoots him like that whole build up the back and forth there is great and just I mean the relationship between him uh, between uh, Ernie and Dud I, I don't know that I mean sure there's tons of great talent and actors out there but the way that Wyatt and Brent were able to, in so many scenes, not just in that, their relationship was just so good. And they're so different, you know, but it was like it blended together. You just wanted to see them together. You wanted to see it work. You wanted to see their success, you know? Yeah. I was really sad knowing that their fight was coming the whole episode. Any other uh, Easter eggs? I, I have one more interesting one. I wonder if anyone picked up on, and I can't remember if I picked up on the first go around. Um, I just have one thing. It's not like a super secret mystical thing. It's just, it's just a plot point that relates to it's, it's, you know, when the refrigerator, so Gil's yes. like, we're building the big trebuchet and we're going to launch the refrigerator. And then as we know, that plays into Liz's story later on. Which, you know, when we first all watched this and it first aired, you didn't know. You didn't know that. And they don't show it. They don't show the refrigerator being launched. So you just have to remember when it's, it comes up again, you just have to remember that detail. 
I mean, I definitely remember when I watched it for the first time when she Liz grabs hold of it. I was like, oh, it's the fridge. And I noticed it. But I always go into these like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to look out for these Easter eggs. And then I just get swept into the human element of it. And I just completely I just say I can't even think that way. And I mean, you know, I am just not wired that way in a way. But. A true fan watches frame by frame. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me. But I, yeah, I mean, I do, it, it, it does make a lot more sense now. I was actually listening to a podcast where a guy was talking about Thomas Pynchon. And so I was getting like a background on that. And I realized how much that ties into Lodge 49. So I've even very recently got a renewed interest in the sort of like Easter eggy kind of part of it and those kinds of things. And I still just can't turn my brain on to kind of pick it up. But I do like I like talking about it a lot more or listening a lot more about it now than I, I, I did when I started. Um, you know, I did have another thing that I, I just realized was in my notes. Um, when Ernie is standing in front of his map and he's like, sadly, I don't remember if he's taking pins off or but he's just like contemplating, like, I'm not going to be able to go on the grand tour. Like the grand tour is not going to be a thing. You see the label of the map is physical map of the world. And it made me think of, was it in circles or it was in season two where someone was like, you got two maps, you got the real map and then you got like the mystical the, map, the mystical map. Yeah. So when that struck me this time, seeing that physical map of the world, you know, and L Marvin Metz puts his head through the, that, that through that. No. I randomly was just rewatching that part the other day and looking for, yeah. Stuff to put on social media. <laughs> I know this isn't an Easter egg. It's more of like a human thing. But one of the things I really liked was when uh, Dud comes over after he gets kicked out because the um, the uh, possums are in the trailer and uh, Ernie's working on the obit. And I, you just sort of get this feeling that he's kind of like thinking about his own life at that moment. And I, I just thought that was a very nice little deep moment. Because hmm. he's trying to like think, what what should I say about Larry? And I think, you know, part of the thing about his character is that he's also kind of considering like, cause at some other point he also is talking about how like I'm getting older and I'm still in debt. I still live paycheck to paycheck. And so I think he, it's like, he's kind of considering what would someone write about me? And it was just like in a very brief moment um, that I found very deep and touching. And so when he's taking the pins off later, it kind of, to me, tied it back to that about like, I guess I'm never going to see these places, you know, like that won't be part of my obituary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also just in, in terms of the possums, um, right before that, I really love the, the shot where it's dud in the trailer and we're seeing him from outside through that when it's kind of oblong window and it's lit really nicely. It's that song shadows by the superimposers. And it's just like, this really moving, touching moment. He's looking in the the, ch- the book that Larry had in his, in his uh, chest, the chapter title being The Solemn Duty of the Squire, which is the title of the episode and what's what Dud is trying to take so seriously. And then right after that, as the show so often does, it flips it on its head by having these possums in the in the kitchen and it becomes a moment of, of humor and, and wackiness and, and uh, you know, kind of resets we learned two things about dud in this episode one he's just not an athlete 
in any shape or form. <laughs> and he's really not good around animals, right? He's like, come on, control. It's a possible. Well, we haven't, uh, we don't get to see him surfing a lot, but I think when he does surf, he's probably that's true. Good at it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. That is like, uh, you have to have some sort of competitive nature, which he does like not have. Right. Mm. Which is oh, you oh, need for surfing. One, one brief more thing before we move on. So we've had some discussions in the past, episodes we've been doing recaps about fake beers like there's a fake version of modello and so connie in this episode i noticed she's drinking a beer called blind fox and so i just looked that up before we got on i was like is that real is it a real beer and there's this this site called untapped and they have it on here blind fox ale blind fox blind fox brewery and someone wrote this comment this is a fictional beer used in tv shows it should be removed from untapped <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not delicious. Yeah, nor needs its own section of untapped. Yeah. Trying to be thorough and cover all of the beers. <laughs> Beer nerds are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's the well, five, five, five of beers. Yeah. There's something like a six pack of blind fox. <laughs> all right. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the episode. It is Alchemist. Of the week, where we look at you know, who was able to uh, be a catalyst, a spark for an alchemical change in some way. Uh, we always like to kick it to our guests of honor. So uh, I know that you all are ready. David, you, you've got two. So I'll let the, the person with a tie lead us off. Well, Bob from West Coast Super Sales makes an alchemical transformation as he becomes a poet. Yes. With a muse that, uh, I mean, who wouldn't take inspiration from beautiful Jen? (laughs) (laughs) While you're combing his hair when he's in a coma. But he's a reluctant, it's a reluctant, transformation because he asks everybody first his other plumbing salesman if they could write poetry but (laughs) there's no takers and so he's forced to do it himself and he starts off by talking his poem begins with talking about beautiful jeff's beautiful head of hair your many hairs make a single head of hair the way many mountains make a range each individual <laughs> strand or whatever. And it's I love, I love that that's, that's his first big update to Ernie when he comes in, like, don't worry, I've got the poem covered, you know, like, you know, <laughs> boss, if no one's going to do it. Someone has to step up, you know, like everyone's waiting on bated breath about who was going to be the poet. <laughs> Especially Ernie. Like he gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, David, who was your other one in your tie? Uh, it is Ross from um, temp joy. And that's because he's, he's really, I think the, the, my favorite part of this episode is the, that serendipity of um, Dud being sent to captain's place and, and Ernie finally getting the address and going there to find his squire. And it was Ross who made that possible and he didn't have to mention that shitty job because there was this other good job 
right? So why even mention the shitty job? Because there was this job that could have been a career, but of course, Dud didn't want a career. He wanted the, the short-term job. So had Ross not brought up that job that nobody else wanted, that would not have led us to that serendipitous moment. Love it. I love Ross too. Well, both of those. He's a great yeah. character. Yeah. All right. Atkins, who was your alchemist of the week? Uh, my alchemist of the week definitely is Liz. Um, now I know that that's maybe not one that most would have picked in this episode, but uh, even going through the, the, the rough spot she went to, she still uh, had her, you know, a little love connection with corporate and she still got a bowl of ice cream at the end of the day, which is very important considering how, how things went for her with that interview. So she definitely took some, some lemons and made some lemonade out of that. Love it. Yeah. All right. Jim or Bart. Go ahead, Jim. Okay, so my Alchemist of the Week is not one person, it's collective. It's the Parabola Group, who they're taking their unemployment, which is not a great situation, and turning it into fun and games by launching <laughs> appliances at Champ and Dud and seeing what, see, you know, getting the satisfaction of seeing them smash up. And, you know, there's some, to me, it's reminiscent a little bit of, you know, a scene from another a movie that I love, uh, Office Space, where they smash the hell out of that printer that has caused them so much grief. Um, but in this case, it's so amped up. It's just like this, you know, they're using their skills from their jobs, their engineers, and they're making this whole course out of it. It's, you know, it's much more intricate. And uh, I think probably therefore that much more satisfying. So that's, here's to the uh, Parabola group. I do love the idea that that's what out of work engineers do, right? They like <laughs> mathematically tweak a trebuchet to, you know, optimal performance. Yeah. The smash uh, <clears throat> they now hate, you know, uh, um, <clears throat> all right. My alchemist of the week is Avery. Um, I'm going to go in like sort of the negative side of, of creation, which is destruction. And, um, you know, I think that in the world of alchemy, you have true believers and anytime you have true believers, you're necessarily going to have some con men. So he comes in, he kind of like the whole lodge has this great feeling like, you know, Blaze has got, you know, a love interest and things are kind of going great. And Ernie's going to go to to London and get the full tour. And then it all just comes crumbling down after that. And they all sort of hit, hit this little tailspin to the point where Ernie's like ripping up the picture of Larry. Looks like the lodge is going to be foreclosed on. And um, so as like an agent of uh, like destruction then he would be my inverse alchemist in that sort of regard love that one these are such good ones this week and we normally have to negotiate who's gonna pick one we've all picked or something along those lines but it's such good variety here um mine was actually is similar to atkins in terms of mine was corporate because i feel like he was the element that helped liz sort of make that alchemical transition here right I, you know i'm not smart enough to know what the the chemistry or alchemistry 
terms are. But, you know, even though the relationship with him, the, the obviously what happens with the, the job doesn't pan out, but Liz is a much different person going that, you know, on the other side of that misadventure than she was entering it. You know, it's not that much further on in the season where she talks herself out of her, uh, out of her debt. She entered season two in a different place. She's ends up being the boss. So there's a power dynamic switch between her and Jeremy and the restaurant. She ends up actually, there's a power dynamic switch in the relationship between her and Janet uh, in season two. So we have a, she, she knows like, okay, so that might not have been the thing for her, but she knows that she's got to find a thing, a different thing. She has a different sort of awareness of self. I think she kind of like, she lets go. He becomes a, 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 a deposit for her to let go. And then for us to hear some of the skeletons in her closet. So I thought that was done effectively. So yeah, he, to me, he was the, he was the alchemist of the week because he actually was the bridge to Liz's uh, transition from the sort of first six or seven episodes of the season to what, you know, eventually sort of becomes her arc through us, the rest of the show. Where even if she's not necessarily a different place in life, but she's in a, she's a much different, more confident, more self-assured, more clear eyed version of herself than we got through the first majority of season one. So, uh, uh, and corporate's such a, you know, like we, we talked about this many times that, that you know, the, the show never casts anyone as truly evil, right? Or there's always nuance or it's all a grind. And so like, you know, the, the, how they handle corporate with actually a good amount of empathy and humanity was, you know, was, was also not something you would normally see in a show um, where they had to sort of build on the archetype. And punctuated by his spaghetti eating. At his uh, I was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for the fact that he was primarily referred to as corporate. You would think that <laughs> yeah. a character like that, you'd be like, ah, he's got to be the worst. But, you know, you actually, by the end of it, you're like, damn, I feel for corporate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like he's just trying to get to the end of the day like everybody else, right? One, of my- uh, one thing we forgot to mention, which we, we usually do with the psych gags, is the, the, the tabletop. Liz trying to put the bowl down oh, yeah. on the table. <laughs> yeah. David, go ahead. You're about to say something. Well, this is the following episode, but one of my favorite moments in the whole series is with Liz and corporate at the, uh, when she's going to the distillation and she sees him and says, how about we go and have, go, how about you come over to my place and we have sexual intercourse? And he says, I think I know what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Good old corporate. Yeah. All right. So uh, this brings us sort of close to the end, but I definitely, you know, especially with work starting to pick up and where can people find you, whether that's on social media, shows, movies, things to binge, um, David, we'll start with you. What, you know, what do you want the folks to know? One thing I've realized about Lodge 49 fans is they love to roll deep on what, uh, cast and crew, uh, from Lodge 49 do as, the, as their careers expand. So let people know how to, how to track it. Gosh. Um, boy, I have three things coming up and I can't talk about any of them. <laughs> <laughs> we've run into that already on several of the other episodes of the um, that's just the way it is these days it really is yeah um 
it used to not be like that, but I guess with, because of social media there, you really have to sign an NDA for everything. Um, but I always announce those things on my Twitter, which is at, is this David Yuri? And my Instagram is David Yuri. And that's also a good place to find those, um, TV, uh, theme song monologues. If people want to check those out, they're also on my YouTube channel, which is David Yuri. Um, so I'll have another one of those coming up in a, uh, a week or so. And I just put, uh, Mr. Ed up. That's the latest one that I did. <laughs> Love that one. It was great. That's, yeah. a, deep, that's a deep, deep cut. Uh, loyal listeners we will put links to all that stuff in the the show notes so you can get right to those things directly and david you know by the time this actually goes to air some of those things might be announceable so you'll let us know and if we can talk about them in the show notes at that time we will we will advertise there okay sounds good atkins what what's going on in your world what can people expect where can people find you um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter um, at Atkins Esteban for both of those. And um, season two of Hightown should be coming out in the fall, I believe. There's not a for sure release date, but I believe that's that's the area that they're aiming for. Um, I've got another project um, that I'll be working on. I don't know that I can say anything about it at the moment, but by the time this airs, if that changes, I will let you know. But um, that's pretty much it for now. Other than dadding, dadding the hardest right now, that's, that's taking up a lot of time and um, yeah, just trying to survive out here. (laughs) Sign an NDA for that part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is full disclosure. <laughs> and, and in fact, you can and on Atkins social media, which you mentioned, you can see some very cute family pics. So yeah, very very cute kids. So yes. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, we, laughs laughs were had, but we 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 really appreciate you, know, you all. Multiple guests. We love that you all are willing to do this. It really means a lot to us. I know it means a lot to the the folks that listen to, to get your perspectives and get your insider takes and just to, you know, hear you all talk about the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. I mean, I have to say that um, the fans for this show have been fantastic, you know, um, for this long after um, the show being canceled for people to still have such passion about it has just been amazing because I, I, for, I can speak for myself, but I imagine it'd be the same for David, anybody else that when I first got the project, I was just like, this is something really special, you know? And, um, um, to look now and see that so many other people feel the same way about it is, is really cool. So, and holding out hope, man, hopefully who knows what the future will bring, but maybe we'll get to see where this story would have gone you know i know we need the earth season which we were promised yes <laughs> even one more season to do it yeah yeah, yeah. be great i'll take a, uh just you know give me a a a, a, a mini a mini series <laughs> <laughs> well i heard that someone's greenlit Rob Zombie to, to do a Munsters reboot. So, I mean, I guess anything's possible. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, with that, we will see you uh, next up will be season one, episode eight. And we'll just keep uh, mums the word on who those guests will be. You'll find out when you find out. So we'll see you next time. Thank you.